Um, so Aisha, if you could lead us with the Fatiha and then the translation. A book whose verses are set clear and then distinguished from one all wise, all aware. Serve you none but God. I am to you a warner from him and a bearer of good tidings. And ask forgiveness of your Lord, then repent to him and he will give you fair enjoyment unto a term stated, and he will give of his bounty to every person of grace. But if you should turn your backs, I fear for you the chastisement of a mighty day. To God shall you return, he is powerful over everything. Behold, they fold their breasts to hide them from him. Behold, when they wrap themselves in their garments, he knows what they secrete and what they publish. Surely he knows all the thoughts within the breasts. No creature is there crawling on the earth, but its provision rests on God. He knows its lodging place and its repository. All is in a manifest book. Sadaqallahu al-Azim. Thank you. And Salah, if you're able to recite here. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام را كتاب أحكمت آياته ثم فصلت لدن حكيم خبير ألا تعبدوا إلا الله إنني لكم منه نذيرا وبشير
sujur Thank you. So this, the Kitab Mubin, the Mubin is the one that's clarified. So this, the greatest of all details, the smallest, tiniest of details, down to all the crawling insects and everything else, is in a clarifying book. So we'll be looking at two books, a mother book and this clarifying book. And the mother book is the ink and the ink well, and the clarifying book is what's written. So the ink, the inkwell, and then what's written is what we're looking at here. So Ibn Arabi says, then you see in the ink, which is in the inkwell, the entirety of what is in there in all of the cosmos, the letters and the sentences, and what is embraced and encompassed by the cosmos, the images which the writer images or the engraver. And all of this is a book. So you say in this ink, there are images, this and that image. So when some people can look at the inkwell, they can see in it this and that image. And so the way the Quranic imagery is of the, this vessel and then the detail. So the full, the whole, and then the detail. The ones that are well-constructed and then ones that are further explained in detail. Thus he constructed well the verses in it, and their detailed explanation is not recognized except by one God gives wisdom and speech decisive. So this is throughout the Quran, the, the whole and the part, the synthesis and the analysis, the summary and the detail. That's uh, the imagery that's throughout, and Ibn Arabi uses that uh, to help us see the mother book and then the clarifying book. And that brings us then to Qada and Qadar. So, uh, and so this is all about predestination, foreknowledge, fate, destiny, all those kinds of things. And so in the Arabic is Qada and Qadar. Uh, Ibn Arabi looks at it as the mother book, which is the subject grammatically, and then the clarifying book, which is the predicate or the predicating book. And we can translate that back into an easy way of understanding. The first book, the mother book, is what you are given. So this is what you're given. You're given a, a, a family, a certain number of siblings. You're given a certain uh, physical uh, ability or disability. You're given this, you're given that, you're giving that. That's what you are given. And then the question is what you do with it. So what you are given is fixed, and what you do with it is something else. And Ibn Arabi tells us here, whenever uh, it sounds like we're entering into theological discussions and all of these ideas about predestination, he says, if you think about it, uh, there would be no faida, there would be no use in all the verses and all the uh, hadith saying, do this and don't do that, except if you could do that and could uh, refrain from doing this other thing. 
So because of that, we know that we, there is this free choice. Otherwise, there would be no use in, in the verses which tell you to do something. So if we look at it grammatically, we look at subject, predicate. And so Ibn Arabi talks about them as two books. So the second book, this predicating book, is called Khabira. And it's about khabar. It's knowledge acquired after testing. And as I was talking with the colleague, uh, this is very clearly a grammatical discussion as well. So it's the predicate of a sentence, it what, it what predicates. And it's based on the mother. So the mother is the subject. And then this second book is the predicate. So if you take the, the, his, the traditional English grammatical uh, grammar of, of that, it's the shortest sentence has a subject and a predicate, Jesus wept. So Jesus is the subject, wept is the predicate. So Ibn Arabi is telling you that that's the, that's the grammar of the cosmos. That's what's happening here. We have a subject and we have its predicate. So on the predicate, we have Al-Khabir, the one who is informed of all things, who has predicated all things. And then the first one is the mother book. And the one who is ruling over the mother book is the one who is Alim, all-knowing. So all-knowing is not the same as being all-informed. One works with the mother book. The other works with what happens, what's written. One works with the ink in the vessel and one works with the ink that's being write, written on the page. So qada, this general decree, is the one which has the effective execution of the matters, what will come to pass. And there was a divine ruling against those things. And then qadar is a measure, and it's the place where you are given something in order to better something else. It is like his word. And if God expanded the daily sustenance for his creatures, they would behave inordinately in the earth. So now if inordinate behavior were found to be coming from expanded provision, no final argument would arise against them because God knows that expanded provision causes his creature to behave inordinately. So if I have expanded uh, provision and I behave inordinately, then on the judgment of that is there's no judgment against me because God knows that if I were to be given too much, um, I would not know what to do with it and I would be excessive. But instead, Allah sends down in due measure, Qadr, whatever he pleases. Thus, he only sends provisions down in a known measure. He created nothing but in due measure. So what's given to me is a given to me in due measure. And what I do with it, that I'm accounted for because it's in due measure. So then if there is inordinate behavior with the measured amount, the final argument arises against them. This in the place where someone holds back from another what is in his hands, even though he's obtained sufficiency of food and wealth. So someone is given a due measure, which is very large, and it gives them more than they need. Then they need to take what's in their hand and give it to the person it's designed for, it's made for. Whatever is more in your provision, you know it is for the general betterment of another. And from its surplus, you provide a loan. So a loan here in Islamic banking terms, you, you give a loan and you get the exact amount back or less than the exact amount back or nothing back. So that's a, not a very sort of profitable way of loaning, but that's an Islamic loan. You get the same back, less or nothing. 
you are not making a loan from what is your daily sustenance. So you're not making a loan from your daily bread, from the, 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 the measured amount that's given to you. You're making the loan from what's above that, what's more than that. He made this behavior to be one of the entirety of general betterments for the creatures. So in other words, the way of the world, as Allah designed it, is that when these people need something, these people who are given more will pass it on to them. And so that's the way that uh, wealth is supposed to flow. That's, the, that's how betterment takes place. Thus he raises some of them above others in order for them to take others to be subjugated to them. Thus the rich then, I'll explain it, subjugated to the poor. The rich are subjugated to the poor because they are needing to be in service to the poor by distributing what is excess to them to the poor. And since God has brought himself down to the alighting place of his creature, he effectively executes against himself their rules. So, in, so Allah brings himself down. Instead of saying, uh, being a high-handed a high judge who says, you're guilty, you're innocent, you're guilty, you're innocent, or I charge you with that, I charge you with that. He brings himself down to us. And so we ourselves hold the judgment that will be potentially against us. So if I have received excessive uh, without measure and I do inordinate things, then the judgment, there is no judgment because Allah says, I am the one who gave him too much and he can't handle too much. And I know that. The second way would be if I'm given in due measure and I say, I, this, I, have, I have what I need. So the rest goes to somewhere else. And if I do that, then the judgment is positive, not its judgment within this whole system outside of the divine being a judge saying you did the right thing or you did the wrong thing. So that the, my actions itself at my level are the ones who judge me. So that's the final argument, a fitting recompense, a recommend for the good they did, a recommend for the bad they earned. Their deeds torment them and their deeds bless them. No one is deciding judicially about them. So they have no one to blame but themselves. Now, so when we're looking at this, uh, well, who does, who acts and who behaves and what am I uh, judged on? The area here is then haya, embarrassment. So every religion has its character and the character of Islam is haya. The embarrassment on the part of the true towards the creature is that he knows better that he, that they will not turn to him until he turns to them. This is so interesting in the Arabic, and this is in the text. He's kind of switches his, the clause as he goes. The forsaken one stands on the docket. He is someone that God did not make turn towards himself in repentance. Consequently, he will not turn to him on his own. And while he is standing there in front of him on the day of judgment, he is remembering inside himself this verse. Then he turned to them so that they would turn to him with turning repentance. So God holds back, embarrassed that he should hold him accountable for his fault. Therefore, they attribute the slip up to themselves in order to be courteous with God. However, in the matter as it really is, the action was an action of God's. 
and predestination comes from God and the ruling decision that they would be disobedient and that there would be a slip up is a decision coming from God. Despite this, courtesy tells them, relate this slip up to yourself since the term blameworthy has been attached to it. And this is Ibn Arabi's dream vision. When he's looking at this, he has a dream where Huck, where the true addresses him. And this is one that we've looked at twice before. When the person uh, that God hates to meet, the person who hates to meet him. So when we, when we, and so Ibn Arabi says, this can only be the reason that you hate to meet God is because you're not bringing to God a perfect life. You're bringing your faults, your offenses, your the things that you have not forgiven and the things that have not been forgiven to you. And you're bringing that to God. So you hate to see God in this shape. And then God says, when you feel this way and you feel this embarrassment, then God says, actually, I was the one who knew that you would do these things. So you are forgiven and you are loved. And Ibn Abi says, this is the most beautiful thing that this creature could ever hear. Then the opposite of that is the creature who comes and says, it's up to you. You did it. You made me do these things. It was in your foreknowledge that I would do these offenses. It's your predestination of me that made me this way. And Ibn Abi says, that's the ugliest thing that could be said. Even though it's, they are both saying the truth, one is the most beautiful thing and one is the most ugly thing. So that's how it comes with uh, this whole idea of predestination and free will. Uh, it is God's action, but our position is, I did this wrong thing, and I feel embarrassed, and I feel that I am wrong. And then God says, actually, I can forgive you, and you are my beloved. And it's the most beautiful thing I will ever hear. So, and of course, when Ibn Arabi looks at this, uh, my colleague Atif Khalil has written, written a book on, on repentance in early Sufis and Ibn, in Ibn Arabi. And one of the things that Ibn Arabi goes against everyone else is he says that the pillar of, of Tauba, of repentance, is to say, I'll never do it again. I'm so ashamed. I'm so embarrassed. I won't do it again. And Ibn Arabi says that's discourteous to God. <laughs> In fact, in such resolution that I won't do it again, it's bad manners to God from every perspective. It is not the case that one knows what is in God's knowledge for the future, that one will not fall into that slip up once again or not. If one has that information, then there's no benefit from being resolute that one will not revert after receiving that you will not revert. If you do not know and you covenant with God about it, but that is something that God has predestined for you, that you would revert you are breaking God's covenant and his contract. If God inform you that you will re revert, then your resolution after this knowledge is a contentious effort to misappropriate. Thus, from every perspective, there is no benefit in resolution concerning what comes next, that I will never do it again, not for someone who has information about the future and not for someone without such information. The Tauba which God demands from us is instead in the form that course from Adam. So what Adam says is that, I have done this, and if you do not forgive me, I will not, I, no one can forgive me. And so, and there's no resolution that I won't do it again. Now, this, when we're looking at free will and predestination, destiny, all of that, we're also looking at when I make decisions, do I decide to go left or do, do I decide to go right? 
And that's a decision I make. And do I have free will to make that decision? Well, the experience of not knowing whether to go left or right, of going back and forth, uh, is one that we think of as a very human uh, situation. But as with Ibn Arabi, uh, he tells us that the first adjective belongs to the divine. It later gets applied to us. So anthropomorphists will take our qualities and then anthropomorphize them onto God. And Ibn Arabi says it's the other way around. Uh, what we should be doing is, is theomorphism. It's God's adjectives that are playing out in us. And one of them is this hesitation, wavering, and flickering. So we have this from the Hadith Qudsi, that uh, I never hesitate so much as I hesitate to take the soul of a believer. He has a horror of death, and I have a horror of harming him. So this is a hesitation, a wavering, a flickering. Shall I do this? Shall I do that? And this is divine. So it's, it is divine nature to have this back and forth, back and forth. So Ibn Arabi describes cosmologically and angelically what happens in this realm, that these pens that are ready to write, there's a big pen that writes the mother book. And there are lots of little pens, 360 of them, that write the details. So the, uh, okay, da, da, da. the pens have the divine quality, which is metonymic, it's a metonym, I don't know how to say it otherwise, described in the revelation sent down to his messenger as wavering back and forth, as in this Hadith Qudsi. If not for this divine truth, two matters would not differ in the universe, and no one would be confounded in the matter, and no one would waver about anything. But we certainly do waver about things, and therefore we know that this is the this small p pens, the 360 of them, which is the same count as the degrees of an orbit which are making us uh, waver and flicker, and we're not sure what to do, do this, do that. So free will and destiny and all, fate and all that. One way to look at all this is the phase space. Now the phase space, if you think about the pendulum and a sand on the, on the, in, the in the sand, and the pendulum goes like this and tracks a line in the sand. So that sand is the phase space. And the track of the pendulum is telling you where that pendulum can go. It won't go anywhere else but on those lines when you push it that way. So that's the phase space. And this is what our entire uh, human, human life uh, seems to follow. All of science seems to follow. And that's the phase space is one where if I know point, my point right now, and I know where I was a second ago, I can predict where I will be in another second. That's, in a sense, the basis of science. It's the basis of our sort of typical view of reality. Ibn Arabi says it's not like that. And in fact, there are about five or 10 scientists out there who says it's not like that. And of course, all the prophets and the mystics are telling us it's not like that. The phase space, what Ibn Arabi is describing, is a fractal dimension. And a fractal dimension phase space, this bed of sand, if it's flat, then yes, the pendulum goes like this and you can predict where the pendulum has been and will be. But if it's fractal, it's not a single second dimension or a third dimension or something else, it's in between. And if it's fractal, you can never go from point A to point B with any uh, algorithm, with any direction, with any differential equation. 
So differential equation means I say, this happened before, this happens now, and the difference between them tells me that this will happen in the future. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that what happens in the future, the past in, a, in, a, in this phase space is completely inaccessible to us. It's what Ibn Arabi calls ma'lum. It's known, it's in God's knowledge, and it's utterly inaccessible to us. We just cannot know what happens next. So this is about variables and variables. Um, if I know, if I say, I, these are the three variables that count and I find out the differential equations that where these variables are operating, I can say what will happen next. And what these five or 10 scientists and what all the prophets are telling us is that no, there's the butterfly effect. That is, there's a butterfly in the Amazon three years ago who flapped his wings and went left. And then in a completely linked line, there is a storm that takes place right now in the, in the town that you're in. So that butterfly is a variable that has to be looked at. And so when we get to that situation about when we're trying to predict weather, we have to say, what variables do I, do I need? And the answer is, there is no limit of variables that you would have to apply in order to find out what's happening two seconds in the future. And in fact, these variables are, uh, they are uncountable and inaccessible. So we will not be able to predict what will happen next. Uh, so with this, this concept, of the butterfly effect, what it tells us is that we variables are unknowable. And we don't have, we can't say this is important and this is not important. And in a spiritual way, that's nice because it says that I can't say that this soul is better than that soul. All the souls are equal because they're all variables and there's no, none that are more important and none that are less important. And so because no variable can be identified, Therefore, I can't predict the weather tomorrow. I can't say this will stop the climate from warming up. I can't say this will eliminate coronaviruses uh, because there is no ability or access to which variables are important. They're all important. And if, as it's in the animated film, The Incredibles, the antagonist says that I, he wants to give superpowers to everyone. Because then if everyone's special, then no one is. And so this is the situation that if all the variables are special and important, then none of them is important or more important than another. And so we enter into a world of the ma'lum. What is Allah going to do next? Um, and so we can, the phase space tells us we can know that we'll have weather tomorrow. We know that there will be elements, and this is the ink, the ink in the vessel. The ink in the vessel says you're going to have weather. There'll be elements, there'll be cloud cover, there'll be uh, the density of the air, there'll be the humidity, there'll be a temperature, there'll be all these elements that will be there. But what will be written, that's another story. That's in the clarifying book. Whereas that there will be ele elements is in the mother book. So this wavering back and forth, should we do something? Should we not do something? We never cease being in this state until one of the matters which we are wavering about comes into being. And then there comes the past, the single matter and the wavering ceases, and then we waver again. Now, this is where the writing pen writes 
in the erasable tablet something, and this is the time of the incoming through which occurs the creature, a thought about doing something. Then the writer erases it, God erases it, and this incoming thought vanishes from the individual. And then there's the medet, the empty dad, stretching out from the booklet to the soul of the individual, and you occur, let me do this. And then you do something which is opposite your first thought. Thereupon the pen writes yet another matter. This is the way the matter is forever and ever. So wavering back and forth from one place to the other. That's the divine quality which we have because we are flush against the image of the divine. This nightingale, stranger to space and time, has flown here from the garden of pure essence. That abode is simply the friend, all divine face gazing, gazing. This mad song becomes more beautiful as longing grows deeper and deeper. Dervish singing is now constant. Nothing surpasses this passionate love. This bold lover questions the source of being, why the soul flies into the veils of creation. So the light of supplication can flash from Allah's heart to Allah's heart. Only Allah be Shining, shining, glorious, shining. This dervish is now complete. Nothing surpasses this passionate love. Thank you. So we go to an international conference of academics on the theology of free will and destiny. And then we open up our paper and we start singing the Salahi. <laughs> There's your answer. So that's why it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, Klaus, if you could read this next part for us. The doors. Knowledge is the highest vantage position provided from freely bestowed gifts. And Kash is the most tremendous of ways and routes and the most obvious and clear. If you ask God, the true, searching, flow in this search abundantly as a Kash, because God gifts it freely. Not continuously at the door. Indeed, the door closes over the claim of existent being and the abundance of God opens the door. Good. So the, the presumptuous or the claim of the existent being, the I am, 
that's what shuts the door. That's what doesn't allow us to see. Uh, so in the free will and destiny uh, argument or Qadan, Qadar, in that argument, uh, if we have a big I, I am, I exist, uh, then the door is shut and we will not understand where things are going and what things are. So Ibn Arabi uses this imagery of then two doors and that, uh, I don't want to do too much, let's see. Okay, therefore, so that you become aware. So he's looking at being aware and having knowledge. You become aware that behind this body, because you are, this door is you, is your body. It's the one that's shut, is your body. Behind this body and this manifest image, that's you, is another meaning you do not know, even if you're aware of it. So you can be aware of something, but not know it. So then the outward image is the single first door, and the inward soul is the other door. Thus, when you open the door, the one misra is distinguished from the other. And what is behind the door appears to you. So this is knowledge. You see it only by means of the separation of the two doors, because you separate what is between the two doors until it is differentiated. This is about you. So the ink well and the ink writing. This is The ink writing is about you. So if the door is an expression for true and creation, so if the ink and the ink writing, if the ink is an expression for true and creation, and this is you and your Lord, then the matter is mixed up in you. You do not differentiate your entity from your Lord, and you can't see the mother book from the clarified book. And you will not differentiate this as long as the door remains unopened. So as long as the door is shut, you won't be able to see which is the mother book, which is the clarifying book which is the sum, which are the parts. And we won't be able to see that because the door is locked and we are the door. And we the door is locked because we are, I am. And as long as I am, I am, the door stays locked. So the opening itself provides you recognition of the door and the differentiation of the two doors. Then you know yourself and you know your Lord. This is his, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, word, who recognizes himself, recognizes his Lord. Therefore, awareness is with the locked door and knowledge is with the open door. So what is ever-changing? You is ever-changing. C is ever-changing. We've explained to you that the colors are of two kinds. There's a color which is established in the colored body, and there's a color renewing in the sight upon viewing the body on account of an accidental matter arising in the viewer and the viewed. And so different angles, distances, and atmospheric conditions change the color that's seen. So they are colors, they're not colors. You threw when you, you did not throw. And this is like the world, all of him in the true dimension. He is creation, not creation, true, not true. Ink, ink writing, ink pot, ink writing. And it's like the imaginal realm. It is sensory, not sensory, physically perceived, not physically perceived. It is as you see a distant mountain in your eye, it looks black, but when you approach it, it may not be as you saw it. Uh, when I was translating this, this chapter 323 or whatever we're on, uh, I happened to be in Granada and uh, as I was walking along from the outskirts into town, Indeed, the Sierra Nevadas did look black. And then when I got in a different angle, oh, there's snow still on top of there. And so this is 
uh, and I think this is probably the exact place as I was walking where Ibn Arabi said, the color is not as you see. You see it black, and when you get another position, it's snow, it's white. And so what ever-changing, you, you're ever-changing, see it's ever-changing. So that's uh, free will and, and destiny. And it, uh, there's a difference between looking at it with the door shut. And so when you're in an academic conference and the door is shut, uh, but when you open the door and you sing the Allahi, suddenly now you understand what's what. <laughs> so at the end of all these chapters, uh, Ibn Arabi will go through the, the other things, other uh, places in this surah, in the, in the chapter of Quran, uh, which need to be discovered or can be discovered. And he talks about the taking on a virtual body by the spirits is just as we discussed about the blue of the sky and then also the distant mountains. This is a matter most of the people have neglected and are unaware of. No, all of the people because they are content with what appears to them. That is the images of the spirits taking on virtual bodies. If they would only trust and be easy in themselves and judge based on the images of their own body, how we change all the time. And as we're perceived differently all the time and their shapes altering and changing and their images also with the eye of the one who is seeing them. So if you look with God's eye at yourself, then you'll know what he's saying here. They would learn with this, the taking on a virtual body by the spirits where they refer to. Indeed, this is a knowing by tasting, not a knowing from thinking. We have already clarified for you that every image is becoming new again in the universe. So necessarily, they have in the overseeing spirit something of the all spirit blown into them, appearing anew in images. And whoever knows that the image of the spirits taking on virtual bodies, when she is killed, when this image is killed, if she is an animal or cut if she is a plant, Indeed, she fluctuates and transferred to the baza, to the membrane, necessarily. It is just as we ourselves fluctuate and transfer by means of our death. And indeed, if she is perceived after this transfer, she is actually perceived just as every dead animal, every animated body is perceived, whether human or other than human. Then from here as well, when you halt to learn this knowledge, you learn whence the spirits who took on virtual body images return. So what we're looking at here is also related to the subjugation we talk. The rich are subjugated to the poor. The angels who are superior to humanity in every respect are subjugated to humanity. Uh, animals and plants are subjugated to humanity. So do we see that there's no question of who's, uh, that if you're, if you're one someone is subjugated to that makes you superior? Actually, no, it makes you inferior. Uh, because the ones who are subjugated to you are superior to us. And so in the sacrifice of an animal, when, you, when humanity eats a plant or eats an animal, they, the plant and the animal are released and because they have done their subjugation. They have done their work and they are released to the garden. So they are released and immediately enter into the garden. And that's partly because... Uh, Animal life on this on this earth uh, can be very difficult, um, and so in a sense, when they are able to do what they are made to do, uh, then their that sacrifice or that death 
is a fluctuation that go, takes them into the garden. And this is for plant and for animal. So the animal that is killed, the plant that is cut. And then another uh, area of this, on this long list of what we find in this alighting place is the misage of divine names. So misage, uh, we've been trying to come up with a translation. It's, it's uh, a, a word that might not have much, it's still very active or still used uh, in the subcontinent and in Urdu and other languages, misage. It means a mixture but we almost, it's almost like a personality. So you'll say, what's your misage today? And that will be, how are you feeling? What's your mixture? Are you more well than you are sick? Are you more energetic than you are lazy? So that's your misage. And the misage of course is ever changing, but the misage is a personality or how you are. And in here in this chapter in the Surah, Hud, there's a knowing of the special features of the divine name in the place of the composition of the letters of that name. So the letters of the name make a divine name and that is that divine name's misage, its personality, its constitution, its quality, it's how it is that day. The name does not, uh, such that when they are conveyed in another language, the name does not have that special feature. So when you say Arahman, you have a very special feature of, the, of its misage. When we translate that, and it's good to translate to know what we're talking about, but the actual word in the other language will not have the same misage as Arahman. And that's uh, one reason why in dhikr we use the word Allah, but in prose we use the word God, because we're not talking about when we say Allah to people who, who they use the word God or Khuda or uh, Deus or Dieu, when we use the, we, we need to say, we're talking about the same God that you're talking about. We're not talking about an Arab God called Allah. Um, and so uh, it's important to translate, but when it's used, when we're using names in dhikr, in remembrance, we use Allah because there's a special misage that the name Allah has. You see, there is no difference between the personality of the letters of a word when they are composed and the personality of organic bodies, which are mineral, plant, or organic body of an animal. So just the way a mineral, a plant, and an animal has a misage, has a composition, uh, in the same way these names have, these divine names have compositions, and they change with, uh, in different languages. In fact, the organic body of the animal is a plant-based body and next to senses. So then it is called animal. So Ibn Arabi is saying that you have uh, an animal is plant-based and next to the senses. So a mineral uh, is, stays where it is, the plant grows. And so that part of you which grows is plant-based. That part of you which moves and, has, and, and senses things uh, with ears and, and all of that, that part of you is animal. So you are composed of mineral, plant, and animal, and you can know which part of you uh, you're looking at, whether you're looking at uh, the stable foundation, whether you're looking at growth and development, or whether you're looking at uh, voluntary will and motion. Okay. And so taking on all of these personalities uh, is, the, is part of the Sufi path. So, Baki, if you could. 
Predestination and free will, and let's we can wrap it up beautifully with this uh, passage that we've seen before. And lo, the wall tumbles, and the boundary is raised, and you know, raised flat. The rivers blend, and the two oceans meet, and the membrane barrier kingdom is emptied. Torment becomes blessed goodness, and Jahannam becomes a garden with no torment and no punishment only blessed goodness and security, seen by the inhabitants of the fire with their own eyes. The birds sing melodies full and various, and the contrast-eyed ones are veiled across their noses, and the youth with turbans are veiled across their noses, and Malik, the angel in charge of the fire, leaves, and Ridwan, the angel in charge of the garden, stays, and the fire starts to be blessed inside the arboreal enclosures of the gardens. And the secret of Iblis is told there. Lo, he and the one the angels bowed down to are the same. The two, Iblis and Adam, did not function except from a divine determination that came before and a subsequent destiny as a consequence of eating from the tree, which neither one could escape. And Moses argues with Adam. Adam, you had the people expelled from the garden. So let me know if you, can everyone hear this okay? Nothing is said, nothing 
So this, the heart, of course, we know who's in the heart, and we can read, I am a treasure concealed in you. I am a treasure concealed in you. And so that treasure is written or danced uh, throughout the cosmos, throughout the universe. So alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Hold on, I have to write that down. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so we have a couple of questions. Um, how could say Allah judges by our rules when he has set us up uh, a Sharia and halal haram, etc.? Where are our rules in this? Mm -hmm. So from the, uh, the view of the, of the mother book, um, we, we are set up, we, there are certain things that we can do and cannot do. We're able to do and not able to do. And so Sharia is very clear on the question of capacity and capacity and responsibility. So responsibility is only for what you are capable of doing. So if you're 
not capable of doing something, then you're outside of the of Sharia. So someone who is forced to do someone something is outside of the the Sharia and is therefore not judged by the Sharia. And so uh, because of this capacity, it's our capacity that determines whether we are under law or not under law. And so Allah could be a high-handed judge and say, I'm going to judge this guy good whether he did something or didn't do something. But that's not the way it is. Allah comes down to our level and says, based on your capacity, that will be the ruling force which will determine whether you did the right thing or you did the wrong thing. And it's in your capacity, not my abstract judgment. Nice. Um, in a digital age of algorithms and trapping our lives, how do we live in a phase space whilst also engaging with the digital world? Yeah, that's perfect. As I was thinking about that, I said, the one thing you cannot do is say, Siri, what's going to happen next? <laughs> so, uh, and that's absolutely, and, and the reason, and, and, and I kind of, I was talking to my son about this, you know, why I get so irritable about algorithms and saying that, I, I start acting like a, you know a teenager and say you you don't know me you know, Siri you don't know me you don't know why I requested uh, the Arabic dictionary and that doesn't tell me that I now want to read the French dictionary or something you don't know me so the problem with algorithm is that we think that these variables are important the others are not and then based on these variables this is what happened to us and this is the this is in a sense the the, the problem of the intellect, of science, of modern society, of all of these things, of humanity. We have, we have this intellect which says we can figure out what the variables are and then we can control those variables. So we can control the weather, we can control the climate, we can control coronaviruses. And that is this fundamental problem with this phase space. So how do we get out of that? Uh, the Sufi is the child of the moment. And so the in the moment, we are where are the ones that saying all souls are equal, all variables are equal, it is what Allah will do next. And so we're watching patiently or impatiently for what Allah will do next. And so it's uh, and so that's why Ibn Arabi said, if you look from the one capital O, the one who is looking at you, then you will know, you know, the difference between the mother book and the clarifying book. And so we need to look with God's eyes. And as long as we look with my eyes, I, 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 the door is closed. The moment I say I'm looking with God's eye, the door opens. Salams. Isn't the human body made up of these minerals, plants, and animals? We are made up of these compositions. The butterfly is about a systemic web interlinked and connected. So too are we, and we demonstrate that symbol beautifully. Hope I'm making sense. Yeah, that's beautiful. And in fact, the, I think if the if sort of the if the scientists who could understand that the phase space is fractal could get together, there would be maybe six of them or ten. One of them is in Cambridge, and he writes beautifully. And if you kind of take away the math, you just it sounds like he's a, a mystic, and he's saying that this butterfly variable over here cascades down through this variable is connected to this variable to this variable. He takes the Cantor set and he shows that the Cantor set, which is this infinite set, 
is linking down in this cascade. And so something, this variable here could be a variable that's three years old on the other side of the world. And yet it now becomes a variable that influences what happens next. And so this is the widow's might. We don't know the one good word that I gave someone could have saved his life. Uh, and so a little thing like this could have done, had a great effect. And so it's not the distance. And so far things are not important and close things are important. And it's not this magnitude. Things that are big are important and things that are small are important. We realize that we don't know which variables are going to come together. And they could be variables that because three years ago something happened to me, I was able to uh, sit with you and see something and, and help you in a way that if I hadn't been there three years ago, this wouldn't have happened. So there's a line, a cascading line of variables which leads us to this place. And then we begin to see serendipity. It's all serendipity and we, we see that uh, Allah's hand is in everything and that we see that all of these things have come together in the most magical and beautiful way. And so this is the most perfect universe, most perfectly complete universe. It's the most beautiful one because beautiful and completeness are synonymous in Arabic. And so uh, there is one reality and there are no counterfactuals. So that means if I did this, would that have happened? And there is no there, there is no place to go with that. There are no counterfactuals. And in Bell's theorem, uh, Bell's theorem can be understood as saying there are no counterfactuals. When this particle is going this way, does it go left or right? There is no world where it went right. If it goes left, it goes left. There is no world where it went right. And you can then trace and say, why did it go left? You can then go back to a butterfly in the Amazon and said, well, it's linked to this variable way over there three years ago. That's why it went left. Messages like this, the heart surely sings and dances with the universe. <laughs> yeah, and, and this tries try giving you that, that. I just go kind of imagined ourselves at a at a big international academic conference and breaking out in song because that's that's the way it is. Uh, the intellect doesn't have access to all of these things, and the intellect is what's keeping the door closed. So, <laughs> taking the digital analogy further. The variables are stored on the hard drive. They can be changed at any moment, sort of like when we wake up, we have to remember everything. Mm. Yeah, the, so that the, the analogy is, is, is a good one. We have the, we have, Ibn Arabi talk, told about, talked about when you, you're wavering between, should I go left or should I go right? Uh, then there, a thought will come to you and that thought will say, I should go left. And that was different from I thought I should go right. And then at that moment, the pen erases that I went right, that I should go right. And then God erases that I should go right. And then I had completely forgotten that I should, I thought at one point that I should go right. And so now here I go. And so uh, it is, uh, it's like the RAM and the ROM, right? The read-only memory and the random access memory. So the one, the the. The ROM, I guess, is the big P pen, and the RAM is the small P pen, because that one is uh, wavering and changing and waiting to see what will be uh, put onto uh, the drive, what will be etched onto the vinyl record or onto the disk of the hard drive, yeah. Okay. What is the name of the scientist in Cambridge, please? Uh, yeah, so he is um, uh, uh, Palmer, so P-A-L-M-E-R, 
and his uh, he's written articles uh, called the invariant set, the invariant set, and he says that there that there are no differential equations to tell us what's happening next, and he then cites Roger Penrose. Uh, Roger Penrose saying there are no algorithms which tells us what will tell us what's happening next. And Palmer uh, started life as a meteorologist, weather. And so it's so beautiful that his physics comes from weather because he says weather, we all know what it is, but we can't ever predict what it what it's going to be. And so tomorrow there will be weather, but what that weather will be, we don't know. And so this is the, the difference between the mother book and the clarifying book. There will be these things tomorrow, um, and I can predict that firmly. But what, how these elements will be arranged, what the weather will be, that I can't predict. Uh, the other is, uh, person is in Oxford, uh, Julian Barbour, and he also uh, he he earned his living as a translator of Russian documents uh, because he couldn't get earn a living from his physics, even though he's one of the greatest physicists out there today. Uh, and yet he had to he, he couldn't follow the usual intellectual path. So he did translations on the side and that and that let him do his love, which was what's happening in this world and where is time. And so he looks at uh, the idea of apps of, 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 of atemporal, there is no time, we're always in a present eternal moment. And so being in a present eternal moment, Ibn Arabi says that fishan, that Allah is in, the who is in each shan every day. So one shan in one moment. And so each of us are individually radiated brilliantly in tajalli. And so individually one and one and one. And there's no, you know, there's no group tajali. So uh, Julian Barbo, I, I was in correspondence with him. He's a wonderful person. He's and he's done a lot of amazing things. Uh, one of the things we looked at a few months ago was extremal variety. He says if you take that the universe, you know, he, so he's speaking in, in, in sort of non-theological, theo, whatever words. If you take the universe as wanting to be perfect and uh, and beautiful, it has to be different. And so each particle, so you take 12 particles, 13 particles, put them in their little balls and you put them in a circle. And if each one has to be extremely different from the next one, you can then be, see that the whole cosmos will begin to be created. You can say, where does this uh, the particle come from? Well, it doesn't come from the standard theory of matter. It comes from every particle is trying to be completely different as much as possible from the other particle. And that ties then into that Allah never repeats. There are no, there's never two tajalli uh, that are the same. And what I have received, I will not receive again. And what I have received, you will not receive. And so this, this is the world. We enter into this world of, of, uh, of no algorithm because there is no repetition. And algorithms and differential equations depend on this thing is exactly the same as this thing, except it's one second older. If then we need to truly become the Ibn how do we begin to have Suba with Allah in all manifestations? And how do you think, if you have any thoughts on this, one might increase the capacity of the soul to discern which of the Aliyat are present, given that we know not which the next one is? Right. So this is, uh, this is the... Um... Well, there, there are a lot of terms on the Sufi path. Uh, Muraqaba is one of them. There are a lot of uh, 
how do we raise our awareness? How do we become aware? And becoming aware is, is becoming alive. And so we had in the Ilahi resurrecting dead hearts. So we have that the heart is the only uh, part of us which is able to perceive uh, the ever-changing reality of the real, of the true. And so the heart is, is in Arabic, qalaba. it alternates, it turns, it goes back and forth. And each time it opens up to a new, the new reality that's coming. So to be heart-based is to be open to what is happening next. And then we begin to see patterns. And when we see patterns, we see patterns of love, we see patterns of beauty. And then we know that our heart is perceiving. Uh, the intellect in Arabic is aql, which derives from iqal, which are the hobbles on a camel's feet. So the hobbles are hobbling us, and we use the word definition to close down, fence in, and define things. So here the intellect is trying to take this infinite world of ever-changing beauty and define it and fence it in, <laughs> where the heart is saying, I'm just going to turn at every moment and see what beautiful thing is coming next. What would that mean, that constancy on the spiritual path, or would that mean that constancy on the spiritual path with the hope of some result, even if it's the only hope is pleasing God, has no value? Uh, let me see what the hope of something. Uh, so, con yeah, constancy and resolution. Yeah, so the idea that the way I will become closer to God is to enforce in myself certain behaviors in order, and that well, the problem with that is if I enforce behaviors in me, if I discipline myself, um, then the discipline is very easily turns into the reason. Um, and so I then become not open to new things and not, not open to what needs to be done. And what needs to be done is not known to me at every moment. So if I know that what I need to do is please God, then that's a different situation. Um, then, I, then I say it may require me to be uh, energetic or not energetic, to do this or to do that. Um, and so uh, it's our intellect that says, uh, purify my, my behaviors, purify my personality, uh, purify my virtues. And the heart says, um, my job is to be open and uh, to purify, and, and it's an intellectual uh, pursuit uh, to purify myself because that's not in my hands. And the intellect would like to say, if I become a better person, I'll become closer to God. And, the, and, that's, and what that means is I'm looking at all the variables and saying, I can choose which variables are most important. And the heart way is saying, the variables, I have no idea which ones are most important. I have to be open to say, this one is given to me now. And so distance, uh, things that are far away are not weaker, or, and, and things that are close are not more important. Things that are, have a bigger magnitude are not more important. Things that have less magnitude are not less important. Uh, so the intellect wants to say, let me choose the variables. I'll be a better person. I'll, I'll improve this part of me, and that will get me close to God. And the heart says, I'm a receptive. I'm, I'm the ink that is writing on the page. I am the heart which is dancing in the universe. And that dance is, is my job, is why I was created. The shower of words and letters leave us speechless. 
So we must listen to the melody our heart sings. Yes, yes. Uh, the 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 melody the heart sings this is, and so that's that's so beautiful it's it's there's something that can be said in poetry and in song that can't be said in prose and Ibn Arabi when he was once his chest was opened up uh, he said and after that moment he could always speak poetry and he and that was for him a great great blessing that he could always speak uh, poetry and you can see if you're trying to describe how the Hamsa is in a 9,000 year orbit uh, in the Aksa Falak. And when you're trying to do all of that with words, you can be sure that if I could say that in a poem, it would be so nice. <laughs> you mentioned mountains looking dark from far away. In Fusus of Joseph, Aleyhisselam, Ibn Arabi talks about shadows prostrating themselves and retracting. And this being a sign for us, can you please talk a bit about how you understand this? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, shadow is is a projected image, which is one dimension below the the dimension we're embedded in. So um, a, the shadow of a three dimensional volume becomes a two dimensional plane. A shadow of a two dimensional plane becomes a one dimensional line. So the the shadow is a projected image. What Ibn Arabi is telling us that we have a projected image of our in our three dimensions, and then we have a projected image in our meaning. In a, in a higher dimension called meaning. And so the meaning dimension is always in prostration. It's always humble, submitted to God. It's like all of the minerals, plants, and animals, that they're all uh, aware, they're alive, intelligent, and articulate. That there's nothing in creation but celebrates his tasbih with his praise. And so this, uh, this shadow is always there. The three-dimensional body that I am in my daily life can cast a shadow which is can be a good shadow or a bad shadow um, and so I can and and yet the meaningful uh, the meaning shadow is always casting the beautiful one which is always devoted to the divine is it fair to say intellect or mind that is rationale part of soul if true as part of shaitan attribute who rationalized Sajda to Adam, peace be upon him, fire is higher than sand. Yeah, yeah Ibn Arabi says that, that the, the fault of uh, where Iblis went wrong with all of that is to attribute to the elements um, things that, that, uh, that the, the, the measure and the rank of the elements is other than what Iblis thinks. So fire and light, those are very exalted elements. And earth and Mother Earth is a very low element. And so Mother Earth is, is stepped upon by the lowest. And it's tread upon by the lowest. And our highest nature is to be Mother Earth, is to be earth and to be tread upon, to be receptive to the divine tajalli. And so the intellect uh, is thinks as Iblis does that if I stand up, I'll be better and I'll be, I'll be greater. And if I become more powerful, I'll be become, um, I'm better. And the intellect does not want to know that if I become lower and, and become with Mother Earth and in Mother Earth, then I am uh, answering the goal of why I was created. And so that's why in the Sajda and prostration, in the Salat, we take what we think is our highest part, the forehead and the intellect, and we place that high part down onto Mother Earth. And Ibn Arabi says this is a healing for Mother Earth uh, from our arrogance, 
and it's the healing of our arrogance from our arrogance. <laughs> Just another thought on digital analogy. The threads of a CPU are similar to how many thoughts we can hold in parallel in our rational mind. If we give in too much to our ego and worry about past and future, then we're wasting some of our CPU threads and are limiting our processing bandwidth. Hence, we need to use our heart as a sort of pattern selector to keep irrationally jumping from tune to tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the, yeah the idea of artificial intelligence. You know, you have to look at you know who's interested in that. Well, the intellect is interested in that, um, uh, and. Uh, and the idea that that Siri could have any idea of what to say to me when I'm feeling sad, that's not going to work. And so uh, certainly there is there is that that the idea. The rational mind has its has its functions and it and it has its uses and and uh, but it does try to take over. And so I love that bumper sticker that says, I used to think my brain was the best part of me until I realized what was telling me that. About self-discipline, perhaps it may be possible to ask God to remove your temptations, to watch your back, to keep you safe, rather than to restrict yourself in a self-fencing way. Yes, and that's and this is the 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 beauty of that's Medet. Uh, the beauty of Medet is to call for help, and that's that is a link. That's that's the word itself. Medet emptidat is the link uh, that ties you to Allah will take care of you. And Allah says, if you are aware of me, I will take care of your education. I will teach you. And so Ibn Arabi is always saying, so therefore hand over to Allah your education. Let him be the one who educates you and teaches you. Um, and this, this um, right, so, and so, so hand over to Allah so that Allah can be the one teaching us. And that is, uh, the medet and medet empty dot and imdad then is the ink. So now we're back to the ink imagery, the ink and the, what's written. And when we're when our lives are being written, and this is our daily life and the things that are happening to us, if we are, are calling medet, then our ink is linked back to the ink pot and to the ink vessel. And if our ink is our ink of our, our writing is linked back to where it came from, to the source then our writing is true. And so we want to be true writing. We want to dance in the universe in, with our true heart, which is linked, imdad, with ink to the vessel of ink, to the source. Um, mind and time are synonymous at times, at least their boundedness. Yes, yeah, so, so uh, Ibn Arabi says that the that time is an illusion, and it's uh, one where we and we impose uh, uh, the time on or temp we we impose temporality on things, and uh, that's an illusion. Um, and so, uh, because everything is a circle, and when we notch a circle, suddenly it has a beginning, and then it has its end. And so, uh, if if all things are circles, and there's a knot. On, on that circle, this is the first, and then it's also the last. And then if that circle is a loop which is twisted once and it becomes a, a non-orientable surface, then who is the first, the last, the inside, and well, the outside and the inside. So who is the first, who is the last, and the outside and the inside. 
So. Good, good. Thank you, Shuei. Wonderful. Good to see everyone. Alhamdulillah. Everyone. Be well, be safe. And take care, everyone. Thank good you. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Thank Good you. to see you, Hassan. Okay. Thank you. 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 <laughs> and and Omar, yeah. I, I, I can I can thank you also, even though there was no role for you today. You're the one who's stimulating <laughs> all this predestination stuff in me. Uh, your your imagery of that the all possible worlds, the one that Allah attends to, that is the one world that is. That's just that solves so many problems. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Shai. Okay. That's wrapped it up for now, but it'll be different tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and that's good. The only place you can be in, you can stay in stably is confusion. So I'm going to get confused <laughs> tomorrow. And that's a good thing. <laughs> no, it, it, it can never be, be stable, not, not, right. not at a rational or a verbal or a right. verbal level. It's so, impossible. And, because the moment we, we know, we think we know things when the door is shut, when the door opens up, and then we're in the infinite dancing with the yeah. universe. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 loved, I loved the way also today that, that uh, Ibn Arabi, you know, what, saying that you are the door, and as long as the eye is there, you will not understand predestination, because it can only be seen from the point of view of unity. Yeah. So, yeah. so there, is no, there is no eye, you know, right. that. And you, you can't yes, step yes. out of unity and look at unity because then, no. then you've got two. <laughs> no. no, I mean, really, if you think about it, the whole question of, of free will and predestination is completely meaningless. Mm -hmm. Who's free and what is free, you know, like... Uh, free from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fascinating, yeah. Liz has a question. Yeah, it was just, um, I wish Jane Clark was here. Mm -hmm. We were having a long conversation about climate change and where should we move to and right. all of this and it was just going on and on and on. Yeah. And then there was just we got to the end of it and then Jane just said, Liz, I think we're forgetting the grace of God. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not in it's not in our hands. Yeah, it's not in our hands. It was oh, a perfect yeah. end to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Of course, of course, I didn't mean meaningless in, in the sense meaningless, but meaningless in the sense that you cannot put a meaning to it because it is it, it can't be, uh, it doesn't have a real existence as yeah. such. Yeah, yeah and, if I, and if, I, if I look back at my own life and all the things that I, I, if, when I look back when I was there, I said, I would love to avoid this or not have to do that or not no. have this happen to me. But when you look back and you say, well, if that didn't happen, then I wouldn't have all of these other things. So you begin to say, thank God it's out of my hands because the no, world that I would create, you know, there'd be less, you know, bad people and all that, but it would not be a very good world. And I can really see that. So if I use a sort of like one of those 3D simulators, those, those are role playing games, I can realize, good thing I'm not the one in charge of this universe. <laughs> there we go. And thank you, Liz. Yeah, that's wonderful. Take care, everyone. Okay, thank you.